here by by preaching and teaching through the vision of the church that we're to lift up Jesus, to live in obedience and love the world. Last week we looked at living in obedience that, I'm sorry, lifting up Jesus, that, that the message of the gospel, and you will be my witnesses. Jesus said, and the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you'll be my witnesses. That, that everything was about Jesus. It was to glorify the name of Jesus. Today we're going to look at the aspect of living in obedience. Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 11. And gathering together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Not many days from now. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And after he said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on and a cloud received him out of their sight. And they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing. Behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand and looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you in heaven will come just in the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that that you speak to us through a living, active word that is sharper than any two-edged sword, able to pierce the heart of man. God, we pray that as we read your word this morning, that it would be the words of Scripture that speak to our hearts, not the words of a preacher. Lord, may we hear the Holy Spirit speaking to us this morning, and may you take the Word of God, and may you apply it to our life and bring about conviction, bring about uh, obedience, Lord, so that the Lord Jesus may be glorified in all that we say and all that we do. It's in His name we pray. Amen. In this passage, we see some very specific instructions from Jesus. And, and, and I believe that, that if you ask most Christians that is it your desire to be obedient to Jesus, most Christians would say, well, yeah, my desire is to be obedient to Jesus. The problem is, is that Jesus isn't sitting here telling me what to do. He's not telling me, you know, wear this outfit to school today. He's not telling me, you know, do this in your job today. He's not telling me. He, he doesn't give me specific instructions. It was easy for the disciples to be obedient. Jesus said, stay here in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit. I can do that. If Jesus shows up to me on Monday and he says, you know, go to your work and do X, Y, and Z. Well, I can do that. The problem is, is that Jesus isn't here with me. And so I don't know how to be obedient. And so, so we're going to look at some principles that are found in God's Word that, that we can apply to our lives so that we can understand what it is that God is requiring us, what it is, what does it mean to live in obedience. In this passage, Jesus gives some very specific instructions, and we're going to look at those very specific instructions and try and unpack those and, and find out what it is that the Holy Spirit would say to us. In verse 4, I want us to look. Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He gathered them together, them being whom? The disciples. We understand, uh, uh, just, just, just a little bit of background, the book of Acts is actually volume number two 
of the book of Luke. The book of Luke and the book of Acts were written by the same guy, guy by the name of Luke, who was a physician, who was a, a uh, close associate of one of the disciples, and he wrote the Gospel of Luke, and then following the Gospel of Luke, he wrote the book of Acts. And so we have volume one and volume two, and so uh, you, can, you can kind of piggyback the book of Acts off of the book of Luke, and so we see he gathered them, he being Jesus, gathered them together, and he gives them some very specific instructions. Look at verse four. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you have heard from me. Well, where did he say you have heard from me? Go back to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, and I'm going to show you the passage that uh, Jesus is referencing here. John chapter 12. I'm sorry, John chapter 14, not 12. I was just joking. John chapter 14, verse 16. Sorry about that, brother Chris. John chapter 12, uh, 14, verse 16. And Jesus is speaking. If you have a red letter edition, this Bible, it ought to be read in your Bibles because this is coming from the words of Jesus. And I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper, another paraclete, a helper that may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not behold him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and he will be in you. And then we see a lot of that passage is speaking about the helper. Look at verse 26. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I said to you. And so Jesus had told them before that there is one who's coming after me, that there is a helper, a Holy Spirit, and I will ask the Father on your behalf and he will send it to you. And so Jesus in John in Acts chapter 1, Jesus is referencing this. He's saying, stay in Jerusalem, wait, because I have already told you that I'm asking the Father to send you the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is coming not many days from now. Stay here in Jerusalem not many days from now. The Father is sending the Holy Spirit. And so there was a very specific instruction from Jesus to stay in Jerusalem. Now, Jerusalem for the disciples had a it was very distinct and the, the the idea of jerusalem for the disciples carries with it a multifaceted aspect that that i want to unpack a little bit for us here this morning in jerusalem the disciples were separated from everything that they knew remember jerusalem is not what the disciples called home the disciples were from Capernaum, they were from Galilee, they were from Caesarea Philippi. They were from a rural region outside of the Sea of Galilee, not from Jerusalem. In fact, there was only one of the disciples that was from the region of Judea, and that was Judas Iscariot. And he's not with these guys. He's betrayed Jesus, and he's about to hang himself. And so Judas isn't there. And so Jesus is talking to this group of disciples, Judas Iscariot removed, none of which are from Jerusalem or even from Judea. And so Jerusalem for the disciples was a place where they were foreigners. A place where they were they were not they didn't know they didn't know the the their way around Jerusalem. They didn't know where to get the best hamburger. They didn't know where to get uh, the best steak. Uh, they didn't know uh, where where the best uh, all the best restaurants were. They didn't know Jerusalem. They were foreigners there. Not only were they foreigners in Jerusalem, Jerusalem was a place where they were separated from their family and all of their support group. Now, keep in mind, 
They had abandoned everything that they knew. They had left their livelihood. They had left everything and gone to follow this Jesus because they, they believed that he was the Messiah, the anointed one of God. And they believed that, that, that they were going to be part of a, of a movement that would restore Israel to its, to its prominence, that, that Jesus was the Messiah and they were going to throw off the oppression of Rome. And they're going following this Jesus, expecting something fantastic, something phenomenal. And Jesus dies. And they're reeling. And then he comes back from the grave and they're ecstatic and filled with hope and filled with, with enthusiasm. And they say, now is it, is it at this time that you're going to restore your kingdom? And Jesus says, no, you, you still don't get it. He says, wait here for the promise of the Holy Spirit. But, but, but Jesus, we have no jobs. We have no family. We have no support group. We have no house. We have no home. We have no, no, no nothing. We are foreigners in a strange land. We are, yeah, we, we, we've, we've been to Jerusalem for the Passover, but, but we don't know Jerusalem. We know Galilee. We know Caesarea Philippi. We know Capernaum. We don't know Jerusalem. And besides, everything that, that we call home is in Jerusalem. I'm sorry, is in Galilee, not in Jerusalem. Not only were they foreigners, not only were they completely separated from their family, but in Jerusalem, they're wholly dependent upon God for his providence. Where are they staying? Some upper room. Remember, Jesus said, you know, go and there's a guy who has a donkey. Untie the donkey and go tell this other guy, hey, we need room. We need to uh, 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 use your, your upper room for the Lord's Supper and, and all this kind of thing. And, and they're like, okay. So they're, they're trusting, relying upon Jesus and, and the, as they're in Jerusalem, they are wholly and completely dependent upon God for their providence. They don't have jobs. They don't have means of income. The only man who had any income was Judas, was the treasurer. He had sold Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He took that 30 pieces of silver and bought a field. So they don't have that. They're wholly relying upon God for their providence. Part, I read, part of what I read in Scripture, God often asks His people to do that which forced them to rely upon Him rather than their own abilities. Were the disciples in Galilee, my thought is that they would have probably leaned upon family, friends, their own support group, probably leaned upon their experiences in their own livelihood whether it be fishermen whether it be some other trade to provide for themselves they would have very possibly reverted back to that which was comfortable for them but god said no stay in jerusalem stay in a place where the only solution the only outcome is that you rely wholly and solely on my providence. I'm reminded of the story of Gideon. When Gideon has 32,000 troops to battle 120,000 Midianites, and God says, no, that's enough, and he whittles down his army to 300 versus 120,000. And he says, now do what I tell you. 
surround the Midianite camp. Arm yourselves with torches and horns and clay pots and go and defeat the Midianites. And Gideon says, okay. So they surround the camp and God intercedes. And 120,000 Midianites fall that day at the hand of God. I'm reminded of Jericho as Joshua marches around the city of Jericho for seven days. And on the seventh day, he marches around the city of Jericho seven times and blows the trumpet. And the walls came tumbling down and the providence of God defeats Jericho that day. I'm reminded of Abraham when he leaves Ur. He leaves his family, he leaves everything to a place that God has designated for him that he doesn't even know. God often asks his people to do that which will force them to rely upon his goodness and his providence rather than their own abilities. None of this is logical. It's not logical to stand before 120,000 troops with 300. It's not logical that, you know what, the best course of action, the best course of military uh, uh, attack on Jericho is to march around the city over and over and over again and then finally blow some horns. You know what, that's a great military strategy. Let's employ that. It's not logical to leave your homeland and travel to a place that you don't know where you're going, take all of your family and take, take, take everything and just leave. That's not logical. It doesn't make any sense. Oftentimes, God asks us to do that which doesn't make sense for His glory. You know what else doesn't make sense, church? Tithing. It doesn't make any sense. God says, I tell you what, you take 10% of, of everything that you make and you give it to me first before you pay your mortgage, before you pay your electricity bill, before you pay your water bill, before you pay your, your private school tuition, before you do anything, before you buy groceries, before you, you buy gas, you give me the first 10%. And I promise I will bless you far beyond what you can possibly imagine. That doesn't make any sense. And so what we do is we say, you know what, God? I appreciate the sentiment. Thanks for the advice. But my family needs to eat. Our cars need gas. We need a roof over our head. So i tell you what I'm going to do. We're going to budget in this 10%. And, and we're going to pay the mortgage. And we're going to pay the electricity bill. And we're going to pay the water bill. And we're going to pay the gas bill. And we're going we're gonna to buy groceries. We're going to do all that. And at the end of the month, we're going to take that 10%. And we're going to give it to you. The only problem is when we do it that way, when we get to the end of the month, we've had to put the car in the shop, the refrigerator's gone out, the air conditioner's gone out, all of a sudden we've had to buy new tires on the car, all of a sudden, uh, you know, little Johnny needs another pair of shoes, and we get to the end of the month, and that 10% that we had budgeted for God is gone. But when we give of our first fruits, God blesses, because that which, which is illogical and which causes us to rely upon God is, the, is God's desired method of obedience. He told Israel, he said, told, sorry, he told the disciples, wait in Jerusalem. But God, it doesn't make any sense to wait in Jerusalem. There's nothing here in Jerusalem. Wait in Jerusalem. Secondly, God is very clear. 
he tells Israel, he tells the disciples, he says, not only are you to stay in Jerusalem, but I want us to look at Acts chapter 1. Um, Acts chapter 1, gather them together. He commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait. Not only were they to stay there in Jerusalem, but they were to wait. God is very clear. They're to wait on the promise of God. How many of us enjoy hearing the word wait? I have three uh, beautiful children. Uh, they, They are exuberant and full of life and full of joy. And they love whenever mom and dad say, hold on just a minute. Just, 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 just wait for just a second. Mom, can I have some breakfast? I'll, I'll be there in just a second. Just wait. But I'm hungry now. And, 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 and they begin to sing to us all of, all of their, their, their desires. And we say, just wait. And whenever mom and dad are having a conversation, they, they want to jump right in. And we say, wait till mom and dad finish our conversation. And then we'll answer your question. And, and, and they don't like to wait. And I am so glad that as adults, we've grown out of that. We, we, are great, we are so grateful to, to, to learn the lesson of patience, aren't we? And, and if you're like me, uh, the other day we were, we were uh, it, was, it was right before Christmas, and I had uh, brought the car because uh, it, with three beautiful, loving, wonderful children, uh, our car often looks like uh, a college person's dorm room. Uh, with 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 clothes and shoes and crushed up food and and three day old pizza and juice boxes everywhere and and um, sometimes I'm scared there are things living back there and so I brought the car to get cleaned out before Christmas because I knew we were going to be going from house to house and it was going to be crazy and I brought the car to get cleaned out and the lady said oh it only takes about fifteen or twenty minutes so I said great so I dropped it off sat there and and fifteen or twenty minutes. She said, uh, look, it's, it's, it's taking longer than we thought. It's, it's, it's you know, you're, you know, I, I don't know why it's taking longer. And I'm thinking, yeah, I know why it's taking longer. But I ended up having to wait there for like an hour. And, and after, after about 15 or 20 minutes, I'm, I'm very gracious. Okay, you know, it's taking a few more minutes. 30 minutes go by, 45 minutes go by, and my patience begins to wear thin. I'm like, oh my gosh, how long does it take to clean out some juice boxes and vacuum the carpet? And, and but as adults... We don't do well with waiting. We, in our instant gratification society, we don't like to wait. God very specifically told his disciples, stay in Jerusalem and wait. And our zeal, I believe, and our zeal for obedience, our zeal for the Lord, we oftentimes get ahead of God. And we fail to trust his timing. And we fail to trust his will. I'm reminded of Jesus' encouragement to his disciples in the book of John. Jesus would perform a miracle. And then he would immediately follow that miracle with this statement. My hour has not yet come. He would feed the thousands. And they would ask him some question alluding to, is this now the time? And Jesus would then respond, My hour has not yet come. In the book of Mark, Jesus would heal someone. He'd say, go and tell no one, for my hour has not yet come. There's a time and an appointment for God's will and God's God's timing. And Jesus understood 
completely the timing and the will of God. And he was patient, willing to wait on the timing of God. Isaiah chapter 40, verse 31, we read this. It says, those who wait upon the Lord will will gain new strength. They will mount up on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not become faint. It's not because of their strength, but because of the strength of God. Those who wait upon the Lord, He will be the one who renews their strength. He will be the one who equips them. He will be the one who strengthens them. You know, it's interesting. The height of Israel, the height of their their prominence was in the reign of David. When David was king of Israel, in fact, that's why Israel longed for the coming of the son of David because of the promise of the Davidic covenant that, that, that in their mind they thought that when this Messiah comes, when the son of David, we will return to the prominence. We will return to, to our glory days, the glory days of David. Yet, interestingly enough, the temple of God was not built during the reign of David. David desired to build the temple of God. But God told David, no. You have to wait. Solomon will build the temple of God. I believe as Christians, so many times, in our zeal for for Christ and our zeal for for fulfilling the purpose that God has for us, we rush into whatever it is that God has called us to do or whatever it is that, 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 that we feel that God has purposed for us and we fail to wait on God's timing. Notice the disciples in Jerusalem. They did not immediately go to fulfill the Great Commission. They stayed in Jerusalem. And what did they do there? They waited. They waited on the the will and the providence of God. They waited on God to send them the promise of the Holy Spirit. Because apart from from the, the, the prompting and the driving and the empowering of the Holy Spirit, their effort would be fruitless. If we step out and in our zeal and our enthusiasm are disobedient in our timing, we will be just as ineffective as the disciples would have been had they gone out without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. He says, stay in Jerusalem. He says, wait. But then, there's always the aspect of action which commands God's people. Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20. And all authority has been given unto me. Therefore, as you go, make disciples, teaching them the name of the Father, or teaching them to observe all that I have commanded, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. There is a there is a, a action point in obedience. It is not always sitting and waiting. There is always a point of action to obedience. There are times when we need to sit. And wait. There are times whenever we need to be uncomfortable. But there is always a point of action. James chapter 1 verse 22. Jesus, uh, I'm sorry, the author of James. Jesus' half-brother, he writes this. He says, be ye not 
hearers of the word only, but be ye doers of the word. Matthew chapter 7, verses 24. At the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, he has preached to the people for three chapters. Matthew chapter 5, Matthew chapter 6, Matthew chapter 7. And at the end, he says, all right, everyone who hears my word and does them, he's like the wise man who built his house upon a rock. When the storm comes, the wind and the rain batters, but his house remained firm. But the foolish man, everyone who hears these words and does not do them, it's like the foolish man who built his house upon the sand, and the winds and the rain and the storm came, and his house fell. I want to point out that the difference in the people, the difference in the wise man and the difference in the foolish man, was not that what they heard, but what they did. Obedience is always an act, is, is always an action item. They were told, that there would be a time to act. They were told, first, stay in Jerusalem. It may be uncomfortable, it may be difficult, it may be not logical, but stay in Jerusalem. Secondly, they were told to wait, to trust in God's timing, to trust in God's will, to trust in God's providence, even when it's difficult for you, to trust in the providence and the timing of God. And then thirdly, they were told, there's going to be a time for you to act. So here's the question for you, church. What is God saying for you? Where is your Jerusalem? What is that that is uncomfortable for you that God is telling you, stay in Jerusalem? Is it tithing? Is it something in your life that, that is causing you to... to to have a broken relationship? Is it, is it something in your life that, that, that you need to repent of, that you need to get rid of? Is it something in your life that God is calling you to be faithful in the little things, that he may bless you with larger things? What is it? Where is your Jerusalem? What is that which is uncomfortable for you that God is speaking to you right now and he says, stay in Jerusalem? Do that which is illogical, uncomfortable, because you know that this is God's desire and God's will for your life. Do you need to wait on the providence and the timing of God? Do you need to trust God even when, even when it doesn't seem that, 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 that it's going to work out? What is that point of action for you? It's interestingly enough, in the book of Acts, were the disciples not obedient if they didn't stay in Jerusalem? If they didn't wait upon the Lord, wait upon the promise of God. If they didn't be my witnesses to the end of the age in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other most parts of the earth, there would be no church. So just as important as it is to lift up Jesus in all that we do, in every aspect of our life, in every, in every aspect of our ministry, from, from the school to, to jam on Wednesday nights, to, to our Sunday school, to our Sunday mornings, to our fall festival, to our craft fair, in everything that we do that we lift up Jesus, it is just as important that we live in obedience. That we live in obedience to the Word of God. That, that the world sees 
us, Redeemer Baptist Church, as a people who are, who are obedient to the Word of God. That they, sees, that they see Redeemer Baptist Church as a people who, who are willing to do that which is uncomfortable, who are willing to wait on the promise and providence of God, who are willing to, to go and be the witnesses for Jesus in the lost and dying world. It is important that we are lifting up Jesus and living in obedience because it doesn't matter if we lift up Jesus, we proclaim and we teach and we preach Jesus and then we live a life that is contrary to the word of God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said, every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. What an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him with their lifestyle. If we're going to lift up Jesus, which I believe we must do, we must do, because Jesus is Lord of all, therefore we must lift up Jesus as the King of kings and the Lord of lords and command people everywhere to be saved. But if we're going to lift up Jesus, we have to live in obedience so that our message carries with it the power of the Holy Spirit. We must be obedient. And for you this morning, the first step of obedience may be to surrender your life to Jesus. You say, preacher, I can't lift up Jesus. Because if I'm honest with myself, I don't know Jesus. I know all about him. I know about his life. I know about his death. I know about his burial. I know about his resurrection. But I've been living my life for me. To fulfill my desires. And this morning, God is calling you to surrender, to submit, to repent of your sin, and to trust in Jesus. That's the first step of obedience. Let's pray. God, we thank you that Jesus is Lord of all. We thank you that he is Lord and he is Savior because there is no other Lord and there is no other Savior. We thank you that we thank you that in your great love for us in our sinful state, you sent us a Savior whose name is Jesus. That if we would place our faith and our trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone, that we might have eternal life. And if that's you this morning, if God is calling you to the first step of obedience, to surrender your life, may you come this morning. Maybe God is calling you this morning to stay in Jerusalem to step out and do something that is illogical that doesn't make any sense that requires you to trust in God wholly for your dependence maybe God's telling you to wait just to trust in his timing or maybe God's calling you to action to be not hearers of the word only but to be doers of the word Whatever it is that the Lord is calling you to do, you must be, you must be obedient. Jesus' word, his word said that if you love me, you will obey me. John chapter 3 verse 36 says, 
Those who believe in the Son have life, but those who do not obey the Son shall not see life, and the wrath of God abides upon them. Our belief is marked by obedience. God is calling you this morning to be obedient. May you respond accordingly. Maybe you need to come to this altar and pray. Maybe you need to grab someone with you and come pray. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus. Father, we pray your Holy Spirit would have the freedom in this place to convict of sin and to bring us to the place of obedience. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.